Wait, man, it's good to be, uh, be together, every, every, uh, everyone. Um, so today we are going to begin our uh, Sunday devotionals prior to our worship service together, which I'm excited about. Um, I'll be pulling double duty here. Next week, our brother G. Legear will take the reins on our Sunday portion, our Sunday uh, class portion. Um, I do want to uh, refresh our minds a little bit because it's been a while since we uh, got into training for service and hopefully uh, you remembered your books. If not, you can uh, purchase one. You can see Gladys Joshua. Is Gladys here? There you are. Gladys is right there. Wave your hand, Gladys, so they can see you. Wave your hand in the air. There you go. All right. So if you need to purchase a book, you can purchase a book for, from Gladys uh, after service. Uh, this is what it looks like. And so... Uh, yeah, your copy should look like that. That'd be great. And um, let's jump into this. Let's jump into this. Let's go to God with the word of prayer, and then we'll get into this. I do want to encourage you, if you have any way of taking notes, uh, you will need to take a lot of notes during this time uh, on Sunday morning because we are going to get a little deeper into the Bible and uh, actually be a lot more academic than we normally are on our Sunday services. So... With all that being said, let's go to God with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into this. Uh, Heavenly Father God, we thank you once again for uh, bringing us together to worship before you. Lord, we do pray that you'll give us the capacity to um, be taught your word, to be fed your word this morning. And we do pray, Lord, that we'll leave here feeling full um, spiritually, and that we'll be eager to exercise what we've learned and practice what we've learned, and uh, that our knowledge of your word will continue to grow and get deeper uh, and in, in our hearts, God, and that we can become more and more spiritual uh, children for you and, and uh, for the world. God, we love and thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I thought it would be cool to start off this time with a pop quiz. A pop quiz. Just to get our brain juices flowing, to see how much we've remembered. All right? Now, first question is, about how many authors wrote the Bible. Now, we, it's okay for us to be interactive during this time, right? So you can yell out the answer if you think you know it. How about how many authors do you think contributed into writing the Bible? Forty! Ding, 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 ding! Maybe next week I'll bring some candy or something. I don't know. That was for one of our teens. Come on now. give a, That's right. All right. Question number two. Question number two. The Bible was written over a period of roughly how many years? 1,400. Okay. 15. Who said 1,500? 15. All right. Uh-oh. Let's see. Let's see. 1,500 years. All right. Come on, Jesse. Now, here's a bonus question. Here's a bonus question. You get 50 extra Bible points for this one. The Greek version of the Old Testament is called the... Who said that? Raise your hand. Say it again. Septuagint. All right. You guys are sharp, man. I thought I was going to trip some of you up, but you guys were on point. I like that. Amen. So today, our first, our first lesson, we're going... This is a refresher lesson. Um... I thought it was important for us to go back to the Bible, obviously, right? 
But uh, today's lesson is going to come out of page 14 in your training for service books, if you have them with you. And it's titled, God's Word to Us. God's Word to Us. You know, knowledge is essential in having a healthy relationship with God. And knowing what is expected of us helps to keep us safe and secure in general. When we know what God expects of us, we know what to do and what not to do, right? Um, and without order, what is there? There's chaos. We need order. And we know in 1 Corinthians 14.33, the Bible says that God is the God of peace, not of disorder. God cannot stand chaos. That's why we have order. And since God wants all mankind to live in peace, he makes known to us his will and his plan by bringing about his will in two ways. The two ways that God's will is revealed, the natural revelation, and then there's the special revelation. All right? So we're going to spend most of our time this morning looking at the two of these uh, types of revelation. These are the way that God makes his will, the way he's revealed his plan to all of mankind. All right? And I think it's important to note that God is at the source of both natural revelation and special revelation. So, God is the source of natural revelation. The definition is natural revelation, it can also be considered as general revelation, is that knowledge is available to anyone simply by living in this world. Right? Anything we can experience by our senses, uh, sight, taste, taste, touch, hearing, tasting, smell, anything that we can experience in that way um, is, a, is a natural, it's a natural thing. Anything we can understand from our observation and human reason. You know, we observe and understand how gravity works. It makes sense. What goes up must come down. We understand other natural laws that operate in our world. Uh, we, we understand these, and these are all a part of God's natural revelation. Something, someone had to put this in place. And so, this is one way God reveals himself to us. Uh, it's also seen in how we recognize the sense that certain behaviors are right or wrong. You know, we learn right or wrong at a very early age. There's something innate in us that tells us, or we feel something is not right about this. Such as little kids picking on one another. Someone gets hurt, someone feels bad about it, they know that something's right without even their parents having to tell them what's right or wrong. That was put in us by God. Another word for that could be our conscience. We all have a conscience. And finally, anyone from anywhere in the world can conclude that there must be some more powerful, orderly, and moral force in the universe. Now, people call it different things. Some people give credit to the actual universe. Uh, you hear that a lot in this new age spiritual way of thinking. Uh, people send out prayers to the universe. Uh, people, to me, that's kind of pointless because I want my prayers to reach someone. The universe is vast. I'm like, if I want something, I don't want to just throw it out there. I want someone that can actually do something in return. So, but that's how some people, uh, they, they see it. They understand it as uh, uh, this vast power that they just can't comprehend. And so they give credit to the universe itself. 
But I love what the Bible does. Because God doesn't leave us to just figure this out on our own. In Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, the Bible reads, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and make its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. And in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says, Since what, we, what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. God didn't try to trick us. God did not try to cover things up and, and leave us to figure things out. He made it very plain for us to see. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world's, uh, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Even though God is invisible, God is spirit, God has made his qualities visible. Plain to the eye, so that we are without excuse. Well, I can't see God. Neither can I. But guess what? There's a tree. How did it get there? How does it grow? How does it get watered? Why do the leaves die and then come back to life? Do you know? I don't know. But somebody knows. Somebody has to take responsibility for that. How could someone look at our world? And not conclude that there must be a creator. When I look at my children, I know exactly how they got here. I know exactly how they got here. They didn't just pop into our living room one day after church and like, hey mommy, hey daddy. No, there was something done to create them, to make them, to bring forth life. It didn't just happen. Your iPhone. Your galaxy, your iPad, your tablet, it didn't just pop into the air. Somebody dreamt it up, sat down, designed it, put all the parts together to make it work. And every 12 months, they raise the price so we can go buy more because they know we enjoy it. But it didn't just come about by its own. Someone made it. How can we look at the world and say that there is no God, that there is no creator? But here's the point. While natural revelation has great value, it by itself is incomplete. And although the findings and discoveries by uh, great scientists such as Newton, uh, Darwin, Hawkins, Einstein, they all deal with, with direct observation. But the lines between science and philosophy can sometimes be blurred, especially when it comes from a, per when, when a person's culture and their, 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 their preferences and, and their past has to influence their findings. For example, you take how we can look at a tree, we can look at the clouds, and because we are familiar with the God of the Bible, Yahweh, we, we give the credit to God. But 
natural, uh, uh, but for um, Americans, you know, Native Americans back in the days when they would look at the cloud and they would look at the sun in the sky and they would look at the moon at night, they would give credit to many gods because that was their culture. So their culture shaped their perspective. It shaped their view. And when scientists come from a certain culture, their findings will shape their view. It will shape their perspective until someone brings up a point that will challenge that perspective. And God is that immovable rock that challenges every thought known to men. And so natural revelation is very important, it's very key, but it by itself is incomplete. And then that brings us to special revelation. Special revelation. Again, God is the source of special revelation just as much as he is the source of natural revelation. Now, by definition, special revelation simply means um, that which comes directly from God, not from natural sources. This is direct, uh, direct influence, direct direction from God himself. You know, as Christians, we believe that the Bible is the only source of special revelation from God. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what Christians believe. And in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 to 21, it says, Above all, in other words, most importantly, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. You know, I love this passage because... For me, if, if the task to write the Bible was given to James Warren alone, there would be some things in it and there would be a whole lot of things not in it. Because it's coming from my perspective. It's coming from my heart. It's coming from where I'm at. But God is beyond us. And so to say that man has interpreted, man is mismatched, you got to understand something. God loves you so much. And he has a love letter that he wants to get to your heart. He's not going to let anyone mess it up. He's not going to let anyone tamper with it. He's not going to allow you to be confused. God has a special revelation, not just for all of mankind, but for us individually. And then he goes on to verse 21, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We know from reading through the Bible, the Holy Spirit's no joke. The Holy Spirit is powerful. And so, if God is walking alongside man as the Holy Spirit to make sure that his word remains true, you have nothing to worry about. Because the Holy Spirit will make sure that that happens. Inspired men who were guided by the Holy Spirit so that they wrote exactly what God wanted them to write without error, wrote the Bible. You know, there were men responsible for writing manuscripts, scribes. If these men made a mistake, they wouldn't erase it. They didn't have erasers back in those days. Guess what they had to do if they misspelled the word in Isaiah and on that scroll? They had to rewrite the whole scroll. They start over because they took the word of God that seriously. That seriously. And they wouldn't just crumple it up and throw it in the trash. They would bury the scrolls 
because they respected God's word. They revered God's word. So just tossing it in the garbage was not even conceivable for them. They gave it a ceremony to make sure that God's word remained revered. Throughout the Bible, God addresses questions that cannot be answered simply by natural revelation. You know, God addresses questions such as, who is God? You can find a lot of scriptures, but these are some scriptures here. Uh, you know, who is God? Genesis 17, verse 1, God tells Abraham who he is. I am the God. I am the creator of all things. You know, he, he talks to Abraham. He didn't just leave him to figure it out. He tells him who he is. You know, questions such as, how did we get here? How did we get here? John chapter 1. Let's actually read that. You can turn over there or click over there or however you want to get there. But John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Where do we come from? We come from the Word, the living Word, Jesus Christ. He made us. He created us. So it's quite natural that God will always keep his Word with us. What are we doing here? What's our purpose? Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, at the end of the day, the most important thing for man is to revere God, to walk with God, to live with God. That's our sole purpose on life. So yes, if you feel called to be a doctor, you can be a doctor while you're serving the Lord. If you feel like you need to be an R&B singer, you can be an R&B singer while singing for Jesus. If you feel like you got to be an NBA ball player, I just can't stay off the court. You can be an NBA ball player. But your purpose is to live for God. That's why you were put here. And then finally, what is our ultimate faith? What is our ultimate faith? Let's turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. You guys still with me, right? I didn't have my coffee this morning, so I don't know how I'm doing. You tell me. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10. If you're visiting with us today, we actually like to get into the Bible and read some scriptures. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, listen to what it says right here. Verse, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Peter, what did I say? 2 Peter, yeah, 3, verse 10 through 14. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, everything, everything, your home, your car, your job, your school, don't yell too loud, everything, the beautiful parks that we have, because God is planning to start over. God refines by fire. And so God is going to destroy everything by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. In verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. 
The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt with the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth and the home of the righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. That's our ultimate fate. And God wants to make sure that you and I are prepared for that. So God addresses important questions. The purpose of special revelation, the purpose of special revelation is to help us to know God. In Jeremiah 24 verse 7 it says, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God for they will return to me with all their heart. That's the purpose of special revelation. It's also to guide our lives. In James chapter 1, verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. It's not enough to just hear the Bible. You've got to do what it says. People say, oh, I've been to church. I've been. Okay, everybody's been to church at some point in their life. But do you do what the Bible says? I don't care what church you go to. Do you do what the Bible says? Because if you don't do what the Bible says, then you're never going to experience a relationship with God. I mean, it doesn't make sense in anything else. We went out on a date. Well, did you talk to her? No, I didn't know how to talk to her too. Well, how else are you going to get to know her? You can't just go to church and be like, well, I went to church. Okay, well, did you connect with Jesus? Did you learn about him? I didn't know I had to do that. I didn't know I was expected to read my Bible. I thought that was the preacher's job. No, you've got to do what it says. You've got to do what it says. Otherwise, it's like a man standing in the mirror and forgetting what he looks like once he turns away. Look, my brain, I tell my, my wife, she gets on me all the time. I forget things. If I don't write it down and if I don't set an alert to remember that I wrote it down, I will forget. I forget, I forget some of y'all names. And I've known you for years. My wife and I be talking and be like, yeah, so-and-so. With the baby, they just had the baby, um, and she's going through names. It's like Jeopardy, uh, 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 you know, like like the what's that, the hundred dollars dollar pyramid. She's uh, giving out clues, and I'm like, no, no, oh my goodness, they live over there. Uh, um, oh, oh my goodness, it'll come to me. And you know, and I forget, so I can't imagine sitting through a thirty minute, forty minute sermon, hearing all these scriptures put out, and then leaving thinking I'm going to remember what the preacher said. That's not a learner. I don't have any intention of practicing what I just heard because I didn't write anything down. Matter of fact, I didn't even bring a Bible with me. So, what are you really here for? You see, when, when, we, come to, when we come to church, we come to be fed, we come to be given to, but we also come to give. And, and, and just hearing the word ain't enough. Just walking outside and thanking God for the trees and the sky and the birds. And that's, just, that's not enough. You've got to put it into practice. And that's our last point. We need to understand and practice what we learn. God has given us his word, but it has no effect in our lives unless we come. It comes to us. We receive it. We study it. We understand it. And we obey it. It deserves not just our study, but our reverent study. Isaiah 66, verse 2, has, it says, Has not my hand made all these things? 
And so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem. This is the one I hold up. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You know, we praise people for a lot of things. Bravery. Courage. We hold up single moms for, for standing in the gap to raise their kids alone. And God looks at all those things and he thinks those are all awesome. But he says the one I esteem is the one who trembles at my word. Who respects my word. Who takes my word seriously. Because otherwise you can be all those things and still not be close to God. You know, those who read the Bible as a message from God will be richly rewarded and spiritually satisfied. Because God has delivered his word in book form. I know some of us wish it was another way, but that's how he gave it to us. We can't ignore the basic rules of reading a book. When you read a book, you know, sometimes we, we, don't, we hate it when people tell us what happens at the end. We want to enjoy the experience. Don't tell me what happened at the end. You know, and so we, we, we read through it. And, and we're able to enjoy it because we read it in context. And, and that's a basic rule is you got to keep it in context. You know, when you're reading your Bible, there are very simple rules that I want to give you. And then we're going to have a, the part singers come up. Uh, actually, we're going to have the part singers come up shortly. And then we're going to um, be dismissed. Actually, where's the Maori at? Do we need to dismiss the teachers right about now? We're good? Okay. Just, I need you to let me know, bro. All right. Um, so, predicolo? All right. That means preach it if, if y'all don't know. I just want to make sure. I speak in tongues and stuff. Who said it? When you read the Bible, who said it? Right? All right. Here's, you know, you got to ask yourself the question. All right. Who, who's speaking right here? Who's speaking? Who said it? Um, you know, there's a sentence that we would not expect to find in the Bible. And it's a great example of what I'm talking about here. For example, there is no God. Believe it or not, that's actually in the Bible. And that sentence is found in Psalm 14, verse 1. But it's attributed to a foolish person. A foolish person says, there is no God. No, there is no God. Now, that's a big difference. Because... When we give, we give credit to God producing the Bible, overall the Holy Spirit producing the Bible, so we would think that there would not be something like, a sentence like that in the Bible saying that there is no God. But it, all, it goes back to, okay, well, who said that? Did it come from one of his prophets? Did it come from Jesus? Did it come, who did it come from? It was attributed to a foolish man. Who's being addressed? Who are they talking to? Who's being addressed? Is it, does this apply to me? Are they talking to someone else in the scriptures? Who's, who's being addressed here? The angel's announcement in Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 20, 26 to 32, was spoken directly to Mary. But the teaching in Romans 12 was given to all the Christians in Rome. In, in Rome. And so, in Luke 1, we see an example of a specific uh, direction, a specific announcement made to a specific person. But in Romans 12, when Paul talked to the whole church about uh, not conforming to the, the patterns of this world, no longer conforming to the patterns of this world, he's talking to the whole church. He's not just talking to one person. He's talking to all of them. Um, the announcement to Mary 
it can't be applied to anyone else. None of you, no one else, I'm sorry, sister, but Jesus is not coming back as a baby. So God's not going to send an angel to tell you you're going to be the next Mary. It's just not going to happen, right? But the instructions in Romans 12 are for every Christian everywhere. We can expect that. We can't expect to take part in that miraculous birth. Ephesians 5, 22 through 6 uh, in verse 9 has messages directed especially to wives, husbands, children, fathers, servants, and masters of that day. But it's undoubtedly intended for all Christians. You can read through those passages and you can say, yeah, that applies to me. But if I'm a single person and I don't have any children, then that doesn't necessarily apply to me. It may not apply to you now, but maybe if the Lord blesses you with a wife and a family, it will apply to you at some point, right? This book, Song of Songs, does not apply to singles. There's things in there that will actually make you struggle as a single person. But as a married person, well, you already know. You can consider that as, a, as God's romance novel within the scriptures. There's a lot of very explicit details that God gives that describes a romantic love between a husband and wife. Not even boyfriend and girlfriend. Fiancés. Husband and wife. Well, be clear. Third, did a command mean something in the original culture that it does not mean today? I love how Steve Kennard puts this question. He, he poses it, is it, is it, is it uh, covered in cultural garb? Meaning that, does it apply to the, that culture at that time? Or is it something that transcends that culture? Is it something that goes beyond that time? And so you got to ask yourself, okay, well, is that something that Paul and the apostles and God meant for that people at that time? Or is that something that we're supposed to uh, put into practice? And there's a lot of different passages in the Bible that apply to God's people at a certain time that does not necessarily apply to the church today. Does that make sense? You know, Paul once wrote Timothy, use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 23. Now, uh, oh, I got a little ahead of myself. Uh, now, doubtless, this was a, an excellent advice under the circumstances. You know, I don't, we don't know what, what uh, circumstances Timothy was in, but it was clear that Paul was, was trying to get him to, you know, to take better care of himself, and he gave him very specific advice. But it can hardly be applied to anyone else unless you have the same stomach illness as Timothy. And we don't know what that was. And therefore, that is something that you can't just take and say, well, see, Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine. Stop drinking water and drink some wine. My stomach is a little upset. So, come on now, that's a stretch. That's a stretch, right? That's a stretch. And even, you know, even then, it may be at a better, you know, it may be better than the medicine that he had at the time. Maybe that was the best form of medicine that was available to Timothy. We have all sorts of medicines today, and you don't need to pick up a bottle of wine just to fix your stomach problems. All right? And 
asked me number four, does it matter when the command was given? Absolutely. It does. It does. You know, a distinction to be made between the Old Testament and the New Testament, especially when it comes to issues of salvation. You know, there, there, uh, there's a lot of, of, of uh, confusion between the commands given to the Israelites in the Old Testament and whether or not we're expected to obey all those commands in the New Testament. In a nutshell, yes, but not the way it was given to the Israelites. What God gave us, and we're actually going to talk about this in the second part of my uh, doubleheader, uh, what God actually gave to the Israelites when he brought them out of, out of slavery from Egypt was specific for the Israelites at that time, during that time. What Jesus did was come and he summed that all up for us in Mark 12. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as you love yourself. He just took all those and just summed it up into two, two sentences for us. He said, this, do this. The, this is the law. This is basically what that was pointing to. And so, do we need to observe the Sabbath? Yes, we do need to have a time where we rest, but we don't need to actually observe the Sabbath as it was given to the Israelites. It was a shadow. It was pointing to something greater. When we limit ourselves to just one thing that was for a set time, we miss out on the blessing that God has fully intended. Now, it says, do not commit adultery. Do you think that applies today? I mean, adore, right? Yes, of course it does. But there are a lot of other things that God does not expect us to do, such as sacrifice and lands for forgiveness. We don't need to give doves for offering. $5, $10, $20 a do, but no doves. You don't need to go out and kill a ram or a lamb and to put your sin in, in for the scapegoat. You don't need to do all that. Because Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice and said, therefore, certain things at certain times are no longer needed. And so we can't get, allow ourselves to get caught up. But what happens when we read with outside, outside of the context, that's when translations and, and interpretations get all mixed up. And that's not what we want to do. Amen? So it's important that we understand that Scripture does not contradict itself. And so we can't let Scripture, we have to let Scripture interpret Scripture and not think that one single passage is complete in and of itself. we got to use the context. We must use context. A good example can be seen in the answer given to the people seeking salvation. You know, one person was told to believe in Jesus in Acts chapter 16, verses 30 and 31. Others were told to repent and be baptized in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38. Another was told to be baptized and wash away his sins. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. But when we study it all in context, we see that there is no contradiction here. We see that even though Paul said in Romans, I believe it's Romans 8 or Romans 6, to, uh, to accept that faith, you know, just call on his name and, and believe in your heart, that Jesus is uh, uh, Jesus forgiving you, and, and you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but you understand it's like you can't just take that one passage and say that that's salvation. That's how I receive salvation when there are a lot of other scriptures point to other things we must do in order for salvation to happen. And so we got to look at it in context. We have to take it in context. When we study in context, we see that there's no contradiction and no confusion. 
Each person was told what they had to do at that particular time. When we look at the whole story, it's plain that the converts believed, repented, and were baptized. Amen? When you look at it all, when you put it all together, you use the scriptures to interpret scriptures within context. I do have some homework because I know how much we love homework. Start reading through the Gospels in a different translation other than the NIV. Get a fresh look at the scriptures. Or if you're currently reading another translation, then read another translation. Alright? But just try to get, let's go through the Gospels together because together what we're going to start doing the following weeks, we're going to look at the New Testament, we're going to break down those books, see how they're divided, and pull out some wisdom and some insight from the scriptures. Amen? Amen, guys. Thank you for your attention.